What a privilege. My name is Gabe Phillips, if uh, you have not uh, picked that up along the introductions from Mark. And uh, I thought you were, I've never been introduced as vanilla before, been called pale. And I thought you were going to call me vanilla. Went to a strawberry. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wonderful. Very, very cool. But it's really, really good to be together. Today, I want to dive straight in. The title of my message, which I, I really believe is prophetic, I believe it's, uh, it's key for us in the season, is this, it's a four-word title, if you, can, if you count the contraction, but I want to say it's this, it's going down. It's going down. And I'm filled with such faith today that it's going down here today at the 8.30 a.m. here at Tableview this morning. I've been told that this is the best bunch of people to preach to. And I'm so excited about that. Um, thank you for the three, four claps. I really appreciate that. You'll receive the miracles. The rest of them, no, I'm just joking. Come on. But I really am so full of faith that it's going down. And uh, if you look at me, you may, may make the assumption that, and it's true, that I have not been in many physical fights in my life. To bring uh, absolute clarity, integrity, I've been in zero, uh, a goose egg amount of uh, fights. Myself, as, you, as I often tell people, these are lovers' hands, not fighters. But one thing I do know is I've watched a hang a lot of movies where fights have gone down, you know? And I've got this image in my head, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a visual learner, and I've got this image of, you know, those maybe high school testosterone where, where the, there, maybe there's a girl in the mix and one guy and another guy and they're getting a little bit worked up and, they, and things are being said, a little bit of argy-bargy, a little bit of pushing and shoving, and, at, and then they say, you know, meet you in the car park after, after school, meet you at the car park after work, one of those scenes. And then the whisper goes through the corridors, it's going down, it's going down. Tell your friends, it's going down, be there. And with that type of intensity, I want to tell you today again, it's going down. I'm reclaiming our Sunday gathering this morning because I really believe that for too long, the enemy has blinded, deafened, and doped us on this drug called religion where we pitch up week in and week out and nothing changes but I want to tell you today that as we've been preaching this series of the book of Ruth, we intentionally called it Ruthless. Ruthless, because in this season we want to tell you again and again that though we are in a ruthless world with ruthless problems, with ruthless situations, yes, I'm not oblivious to those facts. I want to tell you today that we serve a God who is ruthless with His love ruthless in his pursuit of us, ruthless in his promises, ruthless in his redemption, and he's calling the church, the people of God, to come out of the corner, to come out fighting, not just sitting in the corner like the, the, the punching bag of the enemy, taking punch left, right, left, right, and just, just saying, I'm just going to stay on my feet. No, he's calling us, us out as a church to come out fighting and be ruthless with sin, ruthless in obedience, and ruthless against the enemy's plans for our lives. This is who we call to be. Can I get an amen this morning, people? Come on. I'm really filled with faith because I really believe that no matter what uh, restrictions that are placed on us, and this is not a political statement, but whatever restrictions are placed on the church or restrictions you feel are in our lives or in our gatherings or our momentum, I want to tell you categorically today that nothing can stop the move of God. Nothing. What He has said will be accomplished in our lives. And I really believe it. With that fervor, I am coming today to tell you again, and maybe you need to tell your neighbor right now with steel in your eyes, it's going down. Why don't you do that right now? If you're watching this later, write it down there as a declaration. It's going down. I tell you, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but about powers and principalities of darkness. And today I come maybe weighing just a shy of 65 kgs. Maybe as Mark aptly described me, a, a vanilla with a, a wave of strawberry on the top. Uh, I want to tell you, in the earthly eyes, that's maybe what you see. But I want to tell you today, I come wielding the sword of the Spirit. 
And I promise you today, I come wanting to land a few punches to the enemy on your behalf with you. I want us to take ground today, and I want to say it with conviction, and not just as a clever title. It's going down. Lean in with faith today. Mark prayed already, but I want to pray again. Father, I pray for us as a people as we gather around your holy word. Your word that fights on our behalf, your word that stands true, I pray that your word will accomplish what it is set forth to do. Will it find fertile soil here today? Fertile soil, God. I pray for broken hearts, restore them. Father, I pray for hardened hearts, soften them. I pray for, for hearts that are defeated, would you bring victory in Jesus' name? I thank you, Father, every situation will be redeemed today as we respond to your word in faith. It's going down. Amen. Amen. Wonderful to see you all this morning. It is really a privilege to be able to preach here. As I mentioned, series out of the book of Ruth, a four-chapter book that we've managed to stretch into is week seven. Uh, we are incredible preachers. <laughs> we can take a short book and make it a long sermon series. But we are so excited because we really believe God is speaking to us. God is speaking to us, not just a, a sermon series to get through. This is something we are posturing our hearts to hear the word of God for us in this season and apply it to our lives. And for, for context's sake, the story of Ruth starts off in chapter one on the, on the backdrop of a decade of famine, a decade of anarchy, a decade of sexual depravity, a, a, a decade of death and bad decisions in a land called Moab. Until one lady who had, and, and two ladies who have lost it all, Naomi, a mother-in-law, and with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, decide to leave Moab and head back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, the place that God has called them to be. And they make a, a decision saying, though we've lost everything that we once knew, line in the sand, we're going to go back to what God has spoken. And I want to say at this junction, maybe even just to the ladies in the house, I really want to tell you there's power in moms making decisions in faith. There's power in ladies saying, I'm not going to wait for somebody else to make the decision for me. Today is your day. It's going down. You make the decision. You say, as for me and my life, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I really, you're not a victim in these stories if you redeem and restore, respond to what God is doing in your life. But as we move on the story, we find Naomi and Ruth arrive back in Bethlehem after a decade away. And they realize that as they, though they've left Moab, maybe in this journey, Moab hasn't fully left them. And there's bitterness and resentment and hurt and unforgiveness from the decade that has proceeded. And they have to do work, their hard work, not just physical work, leaving that situation, but actually saying, God, would you redeem what's inside of me? And in that journey that we find in chapter 2, Ruth finds herself, as it so happens, as the scripture tells us, or by divine orchestration, Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field, and she takes a, 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 menial, a menial work uh, that she can find. She's gleaning at the back of a field. Uh, she's, she's somebody who's a migrant laborer, somebody who's probably got, who's undocumented, probably at best, and she's there in a the field, but she's saying, I'm going to do whatever I can find my hand to do. I'm going to do it. Uh, nothing's beneath me. I'm going to work. I'm going to be faithful where God places me. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to get stuck in. And it's in that place she finds the favor of God as Boaz's eyes see her. And, and the story starts to, to take shape. We get to chapter 3 and 4, the love story. The love story portion of, of, this, of this journey. And in chapter 3, we see something called holy flirting going on. It's phenomenal. It's something that my wife Fiona experienced about eight years ago. She saw me. She said, you're not good looking, but heck, I feel the anointing. 
It's called Holy Flirting. I tell you, I can teach you guys. You can sign up for my class later. I'll walk you through it. But it's incredible. Boy meets girl. He, they fall in love with each other. And for the time's sake, is they fall in love with each other. Uh, they end up getting married. Boaz redeems her, redeems the land, redeems her future, redeems her story. It's dramatic. It's incredible. Impregnates her. She falls pregnant with this and, and gives birth to his child, who is a, it becomes the line of King David, who ultimately becomes the line of King Jesus. What a story. What a profound story from, from depravity and death and brokenness to this destiny declaring story of Jesus who's going to redeem it all. It's this incredible story. But I want to tell you today, it's not just a cute love story, but rather a declaration of the power of the gospel glory. For us, we're declaring through the four chapters of the book that there is something going down that's bigger than the naked eye can see. And I want to bring us uh, in this moment to the very center of the book, the very middle of this book, because in the, in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the, 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 the excitement, the, the weddings, the love, the redemption, the legal, legal story that's going on and woven in between all the pages, in chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, we find that in the middle of the book is a table. There's a table. And I want to take us back there. We're going to read it. It'll be on the screen now behind me. Ruth chapter 2. Just two verses, 13 and 14. It says this, Ruth speaking, Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. I'm here to argue today my case before you that I, I really, other people might lean in different directions, but I want to tell you that the hinge moment in this entire story, this entire love story that sets up the gospel story year, decades, centuries later, I want to tell you that I believe that the hinge moment of this book is, takes place around a table. A table that is in the very center of the story, in the middle of the story, and I think it's a huge reminder for us that I want to say this to you and I, our hearts today. That in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your fear, your, strategy, your, your tragedy, in the middle of your bitterness, in the middle of your bankruptcy, in the middle of your addiction, Jesus invites us to sit at a table. He sets up and prepares for us a table in the middle of it all. He says, there's a table, I'm inviting you to sit at it. And I want to say today, this, as all of us as, as a backdrop for where we're going today, I want to tell you when you feel like it's going down in your life, it's time maybe for you to hear the invitation to sit down. Because actually the way we come out the corner fighting, the way we take ground is of with a different posture, seated at his table. So I want to help us today. There's two things that why this table that Boaz introduces Ruth to in the middle of this book is so powerful. Two things I want to leave with you today. Number one is that the table is an invitation to intimacy. It's a table that's an invitation to to intimacy. You see, the narrative of Ruth and Boaz is so incredible that Ruth is a, a poor, widowed Moabitess with no children, no status, and someone by her history should be far removed from the promises and the providence of God. That's her narrative. And this incredible story is taken from just something of being a, a social welfare, social justice story where somebody gets a bit of a handout and helps someone, and that's nice. I'm going to help somebody who's poor on the margins and maybe give them a better life. But it transitions from just that story to something so much more powerful in this moment when Boaz says to Ruth, you come sit at my table and eat at my table. 
Something huge, and we, we gloss over it because it's two quick verses, and we move on to the more exciting parts of the narrative. But I want to tell you, it's so critical for understand this because this action of Boaz on this behalf of Ruth was not the norm. It was not tradition. It wasn't expected. It was something totally different and contrary to what Ruth would have imagined happening in that story. Come sit at my table and eat at my table. Drink of my bread. Eat a drink of my wine. Eat of my bread. This incredible narrative of intimacy that's taken starts to take place, and it reminded me of a few weeks ago. Uh, my mother-in-law paid for Fiona and I to go out for a dinner, and what's more, she said, "I'm not only paying for the dinner. I'm going to be babysitting your children." Now, I don't know what you think a miracle looks like, but right there, <laughs> right there was a miracle. I just like, I received it. I said, "Let's go." And on a Friday night, we we were like we were so excited, like two little teenagers going out to dinner on a Friday night, and I'm ADHD at the best of times, but this was a whole nother level. I walked in, and it was just exuberant. I haven't seen, I was like, this is what people do on Friday nights. You know, it's like, you know, it's been four years since we've seen a Friday night. We're like, whoa, it's incredible, and I walk in, and there's a buzz in the restaurant. I'm like, I'm seeing people. I'm looking at the new specials on the wall. I'm looking at the decor. I'm looking at what they've done. I'm seeing tables full of people. I see people I know, and I'm like, hey, high-fiving people. I'm like, whoa, what, this is amazing. It's so cool. And, I, and the waitress leads us all the way through the tables, all the way to the middle table there. And I sit down and I'm just like this. My eyes are buzzing. I'm like taking photos of things. I'll Instagram this later. You know, so excited. I've people I've got to prove that I'm out on a date. It's exciting. And, I, and I'm like this. And after a bit of a while, Fiona looks at me quietly. and says, hey, hey, hey. Phone down. Eyes here. Eyes here. I'm like, what? Where? Where? Like a little puppy. This is so excited. But in that moment, uh, my, my attention had to be captured to the intimacy of this moment that I was actually not just in a room full of people. There's a room and lots of things going on around me. But in that moment, I had been invited to sit down with my lover, with my best friend, Fiona. And I had to choose. Everything else has to fade away and look into her eyes, engage with her in this moment. And that little illustration pales into insignificance of what Jesus is inviting us to. In the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the financial uh, ache in your heart, the relational tension, the brokenness, the emotional turmoil you're going through, he says, hey, hey, sit down, me. An invitation to intimacy in this moment. And this is something that's so powerful because actually in Isaiah 55, Jesus says this, the, 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 the writer writes to us prophetically, he says, this is what God says to his people. He says, is anyone hungry? Is anyone thirsty? Come and eat. Sit, sit at my table, come and eat here, feast on my food. And a quote that was quoted last week, but I'll say it again, so powerful. It'll be on the screen behind me. Abraham Kaper said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, mine. Now, as I alluded to already, I'm a dad of two, and I know that word, mine. My two-year-old Benji, it's one of his, leading words in his vocabulary, mine. Whenever he sees something, even if it's not his, he'll declare it's mine. Something that he likes, something sparkly, something that's, that's cool, something that glitters, that's something that's got batteries and makes noise and lights up, mine. Every shop, his poor sister gets uh, get apprehended from, everything gets apprehended, mine. And I've learned very quickly that Benji, and for the sake of this illustration, is not a lot like our heavenly father. Benji represents a lot more what religion looks like in that case. Religion will see things that, are, that will see our strength, will see our, our abilities and say, mine, but I don't want anything to do with your weakness, your deformities, your deficiencies, your lack. I don't want any of that. I want the things that benefit me, but not you. 
So Benji's saying, mine is totally different, but actually we see in the story when Boaz declares mine over Ruth's life, and not in a, some male chauvinistic patriarchal way, but actually in this redemptive fashion, when he says mine over her life by inviting her to his table, he is saying mine over all of Ruth's debt, mine. Mine over all of Ruth's deficiencies, over all of Ruth's disasters, over all her dead ends, mine. Declaring that over Ruth's story, and this is so huge because this is an illustration, again, as I said, of who Jesus is. And Jesus is here today, and I tell you, he sees your sin, he sees your, your internet search history, he sees your debt, he sees the shadows, he sees your shame, he sees your sickness, and this is what he says to all those things, mine! Religion will paint, no, 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 leave that away from him. But Jesus wades through all of it and says, in the middle of that sickness, I set up a table and say, sit and eat. In the middle of those shadows, sit and eat. Mine, bring it to the table. This is the invitation to intimacy. It's almost like at the, at the end of a meal. And, a, and, and this oftentimes is before uh, this situation happened to me where my generosity would extend my wallet and people would eat. And I'd say, guys, the bill's on my me." Bill's on me. And I see the bill, I'm like, looking around, going, okay, Father, just bring the end times now. <laughs> Whatever my theology was, I want you to come back now, because this is big. This is big. But so imagine that sort of that situation where you get a bill or you get a, uh, you get a, a summons and, and you, so you don't know what to do with it. And the money that people are saying, people phone you saying you owe this much, and you, and you don't know what to do. And just at that moment, Jesus walks in and says, hey, that bill, mine. That's what redemption is. That's what Jesus does. That was Boaz illustrating this moment, saying all of those weakness, mine. That's what he is doing in the story. He walks into the center of our chaos today. He sets up a table and he sits down. He says, sit down, let's eat. All of it, all of it, bring it here. Jesus says, it's mine. The table is an invitation to intimacy. Point two is that the table is a declaration of victory. You see, in this, this narrative, we find that Boaz says over Ruth, as he invites her table, mine, but that's not the full extent of what he does. In that moment when he says, you dip your morsel into my wine, it sets into motion this redemptive narrative that will end in her carrying the life of Jesus, the, the seed that will re lead to Jesus in her womb. When Mo, Mo, Boaz says, mine, it's not the fullness, he also declares, yours, I'll take all of your debt, your deficiencies, your dead ends, your darkness, your depression, mine. But actually, you're going to get all of my strength, my resources, my future, my name, yours. And this is the key that actually too many Christians stop short at point one and never enter into the fullness of the victory because they don't understand that the yours reality of the gospel. This is the very narrative of what Jesus did for you and I. It's called the great exchange, the power of the great exchange on the cross. He became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. On the cross, he just declared mine to all our sin and shame. And on the cross, he said yours to all the resources of heaven. Yours. This is so massive, and Jesus, I really believe, is here today declaring and shouting over all of your moments, over all of your lives, over your futures, over your marriages, over your relationships, over your finances, over your emotions. Yours! You need self-control? Have mine, he says. You need peace of mind? Have the mind of Christ. What do you need? Yours is mine. What is mine is yours. This is what he does around the table. 
And this is what Boaz is exemplifying, showing us in this narrative. But I want to say it again, that if the people don't, we don't walk in power because we haven't picked up the victory that is ours. This is good preaching. Not because of the, 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 the vessel that's preaching, but this is the word of God that's fighting on our behalf. It is fighting right now. And I really want to tell you that if you're battling against sin, you're battling against pain, bitterness, shame, and you feel like you're punched drunk against the rope, the enemy's had his left and right hook, and you're against the ropes, and you're just holding on, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, oh, John, just hold on. He says, come on fighting, it's going down. That enemy is going down. This is the narrative of the gospel. I say it again. We've been given the power of his victory. Ruth came into that story as a Moabite owning nothing except debt and depravity and, and darkness and deficiency of the generations and lineage before. She leaves the story carrying the very life of God in her womb. She carries the seed that will lead to Jesus. You see, she carried the power inside of her womb, the seed that will crush the enemy's head. Ruth becomes, in that moment, as she enters into that story, from his table, into his, that marriage, into that, that lineage, Genesis 3 starts to be rewritten through her life. That out of her womb will come the seed that will crush Satan's head. This is the power that we get to carry. But let me say it again. We've not only been given the power of his victory, we've also been given the responsibility of his victory. Now, again, I say it, I haven't been in many fights, and I also haven't been pregnant very often. None at all, actually. But what I've witnessed is that pregnancy is not easy. Nine months of discomfort, nine months of pain, nine months of swollen ankles, nine months of cravings that you just you don't know what to do with. But I want to tell you that I really believe with that illustration in mind that actually I think too many of the church are shortcutting what God wants to do in and through them because they're saying, I want your breakthrough. I just don't want to carry your life. And actually God's saying, well, you, you, there's a responsibility to carry my victory, the power of my victory. This is what God is calling us out of. And I, I, I had this, this moment a while ago. I was, I was talking to somebody. I just met somebody. And I, as I said, ADD. Uh, conversations. I need to talk to people. And I saw somebody, and I started to have a conversation with him. And I said, hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And the guy told me, I'm an MMA fighter. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I was like, wow. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah me too in my spare time. Just, you know. <laughs> I thought I'd go pro, but then gave it up. But the story that goes there, and as he said that, I started to tell him, he's like, MMA fighter. I'm like, I'm like, tell me more about it. I want to know what an MMA fighter does. It's like, I don't know about you. I'm like, tell me, what, is, what does the nine to five look like? And I'm like, it's okay, seriously though, let's get down to brass tacks. Have you killed somebody before? I'm like, if I irritate now, could you kill me in a second? I'm like, I just want to know. You know, I'm like, tell me. And after all this fan, fanboying around this MMA fight, I'm like, oh, he's so cool. He goes to me, and what do you do? I'm like, oh, uh, I'm just a, just a, I'm a pastor. Sonny felt very like anemic and very, oh, very vanilla, like I'm a pastor. So I, I started as cool as you, but you're, I, someone's going to do it, I suppose. Awkward, awkward conversation. And, I, and the left feeling, why was I so like, ashamed of that? Just a pastor. And a, a few a weeks later, I actually, um, I actually was recruited to do a, an advert. Yep, true. They need people like me. Um, the everyman. Uh, but no, it was a, an advert where they needed a lot of redheads. And so I arrived on set at this advert, and uh, there was Factor 50 sunblock on tap for all of us. True story. And, uh, and I arrived, redhead after redhead, head, uh, I just thought, I thought, geez, Ed Sheeran was going to make an appearance at any second, I'm like, it's incredible. But as I did start making conversation, I started chatting to a girl, and as I'm talking to this, this, this lady there in her mid-30s, I say to her, what do you do for a living? And she said, I am a witch. 
And I went, cool, 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 cool. And uh, true story, she starts to tell me this life uh, that's uh, profitable for her around the occult. This is not a small thing. It's not a niche market. She showed me your Instagram page, and there are hundreds and thousands of followers of this girl and her, the way she's packaged it and this, of the occult and serving people's needs. And, and I'm going, it's going down. This is real. We fit the mother load, yeah? And then after the conversation, she says to me, and what do you do? And I'm like, you're going to love this. <laughs> I'm a pastor. And a, sh a shift had to in my head as I suddenly realized, actually, I'm not just a pastor, that actually I'm somebody that God has called to carry his life, that in that moment in front of the Ocar of the Witchcraft, I'm setting up a table and I'm coming out fighting, not with fists raised or arguments, but I'm setting up a table saying, eat of the bread and wine. And I want to say to you, sir, ma'am, you're not just a stay-at-home mom. You're not just a barista. You're not just somebody, a teacher. I'm just a teacher. I'm not just someone trying to hold the family together. I'm not just a single person trying to keep myself pure. No, you're not just. You're somebody who's called to carry the power and the responsibility of his life. That's who we're called to be. Setting up tables and inviting people to sit and eat. Sit and eat. This is a declaration of his victory. And this is the incredible example we call to. I say it again. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities of darkness. I tell you today, I really have faith. It's about to go down. Let me help us. That Actually, I believe this is not just some illustration from the book of Ruth. This is the narrative of Scripture. That actually, the table is the hinge point all the way through Scripture. Uh, let me help us. In, in the book of Exodus, the, the people of the nation of Israel, the people of God have been in captivity for 430 years. 430 years of slavery, of being Pharaoh's playthings, of uh, back-breaking labor for, for minimum wage and, and, and just being ripped apart and their identity torn to shreds. 430 years, generation after generation after generation of captivity and slavery. And then God pitched up and says, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on your behalf. And the 10 plagues start to happen. And, and as they look around, I can imagine it's almost like they start to say, something's going down. Something's going down. And then God says that he gets built up to the crescendo. He says, actually, tonight, this very night, I will show Pharaoh. I will move on, on uh, like, like he's never seen before. And Pharaoh will release the people of God. When, I, when he has said no, he will now say go. And you'll leave, and not just leave uh, as, as beggars and paupers, but you'll leave with the riches of Egypt. You'll leave with the overflowing abundance. But he says this, but before I show my might, Exodus chapter 12, he says this. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, speaking about the Israelite people, they are to eat and meat. They are, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. He basically says to him, "Tonight, before I move, what do we do, God? Sit down and eat, have a meal." It's called the Passover meal that Jews do to this day of, of unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and, and roasted lamb. That when they recall and remember their freedom from, e from Egypt and the Exodus, they do this every year. They sit and eat a meal knowing that God's about to move. Let me keep convincing you a little bit more. Psalm 23 verse 5, this, this poetic, beautiful psalm, but actually it's this robust psalm that in the, in, in, the, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of Psalm 23 is this narrative of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. This is not some light and fluffy thing that you put. This is death. 
is at the door of their hearts, the doorway of their lives. And through walking through that valley and it says, my enemies surround me. And I've got this picture of hyenas and jackals that are nipping and the creditors, the debtors, the, the accusations, the fears, the anxieties, the, the brokenness, the doctor's reports. It's, it's loud and you don't know what to do. And he's like, I'm walking this valley with the enemy shouting at me. And Psalm 23, right in the middle says this, you prepare a table for me there in the presence of our enemy. While we are thinking, I don't know what to do, and we on the ropes, he just walks in calmly in the middle of it and sets up a table and says, sit and eat. Sit and eat. He will follow me all the days of my life. Then Luke 22, we find the night before Jesus is betrayed, before he goes to the cross to wage war against the powers of principalities and darkness and, and, go, and wage, go into the ring with the, 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 the enemy and take him down. It's going down. What does Jesus do in Luke chapter 22? I'm glad you asked. It says this, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. You see, Judas is plotting. The Pharisees are scheming. The demons are rejoicing. And Jesus is saying, sit and eat with me. Before it becomes a religious symbol for us, they had no clue what this meant. Bread broken for you, wine poured out. Like, what is he talking about? Sit and eat, feast with me. And on the back of that, the next day, Jesus walked up that hill called Golgotha and plunged the cross into it and forever silencing the barking dog called Satan as he, as he rendered them useless and made them drag them through the high streets naked as a captive, a conqueror does with the captives and embarrasses them in front of the, the victory of what he did. Finally, Revelations chapter 19. The culmination of this whole story says this, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words that come from God. You see, Revelations 19, 18, 19, 20, go read it. It's the battle of ages of, of God and his people, the dragon, the enemy, and, and trying to come, and this, this battle that's being set up, it's going down, it's going out down. What is it gonna look like? And we find in Revelation 19, what are the people of God doing? They're singing, and God is declaring, sit and eat. And the very next line after he says, sit and eat the wedding feast of the lamb, is this, then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. His rider was named Faithful and True, and he came to wage war on behalf of God on the enemy, and he came to tread the wrath of God out there. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron rod. He'll release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What am I trying to say? Exodus 12, Psalm 23, Luke 22, Revelation 19. All of these stories have feasting, but on the back of the feasting, we, we realize that when the people of God feast, God is about to flex. When the people of God feast, God is about to fight on their behalf. 
This is the way we fight. This is the way it goes down. I tell you, this is every time we take communion as a people. It's not just symbolic. We're releasing the reality of the finished work of Jesus over our lives. When we take communion, we are declaring, it's going down. This is what we do. And I tell you today, in the middle of your battle, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your chaos, maybe that nobody else even knows, the emotional tension that keeps you up at night, that shame that nothing has worked away, that brokenness, that fear, the anxiety, Jesus walks in today and he lays a table and he says, sit and eat because I want that mine. And he says, my victory, yours. This is what he does for you and I today and this is what he invites us to. Let me make this real. My two-year-old boy, Benji, went through something called the terrible twos. And uh, it was Hector. I, I tell you, forget the witch story. I saw the demonic play out in front of me. And we were like, what do we do? We like, it just was morning, noon, night tantrums. And we were like, this is tricky. We didn't know what to do. We felt a little bit exhausted at our ends. And we read the blogs. We'd asked the advice. We'd, we'd done the hokey pokey. You know, we'd, whatever we could do, like, just nothing seemed to work. And my wife said, why, why don't we take communion? And trust God. And we sat and we prayed and said, God, actually, would you help us, God? As we, as we feast, we're going to trust that you're going to flex. When we can't, we need you to fight for us. Uh, we're going through a family situation right now uh, as a family, some, some turmoil, some chaos relationally. And I flew up to Pretoria too, and, and there are a lot of dead ends, a lot of uh, discussions, a lot of discouragement and, and brokenness and uh, relationships afraid. And we did not know what to do. So what we did was we sat as a family and we broke bread. And we said, God, as we feast, though we don't know what to do, will you flex? Will you fight on our behalf? And this is what we do as a people. You see, the Bible says it this way. Ezekiel says it this way. When you hear the word of God, it doesn't say hear the word of God. It says, will you eat the scroll? Will you eat the scroll? Too many of the church, I, I believe, are, are, are sitting and hearing the word, hearing another sermon, another podcast. Again, that's so great. But not coming out fighting and taking the victory that's theirs. This is not another sermon. This is an invitation to sit at the table of intimacy that declares your victory. Sit and eat. And I tell you, you know, this way, if when, the, when it feels like things are going down, I want to tell you the way it goes down is when it goes down. When we digest it. When we eat His words. When we, we allow it to become part, we partake of His life. Let me tell you today what's on the table. On the table today, personal victory for you and me. On the table today, is relational healing. On the table is breakthrough from addiction. Today, on the table is, is the life of God that you've been longing for. On the table is purpose. On the table is joy. On the table is peace. On the table is freedom from bitterness. On the table is your breakthrough. Will you sit and eat? And here's my thing. Before I pray for us today, I want to say to you, here's my encouragement. To this week, Life Changes Church, would we every single night take communion in your home? For your family, for your future, for your friends, for this nation, it's time for the church to come out fighting. Not just sitting waiting. Our future is not determined by Cyril. It's not determined by coronavirus. It's determined by Christ and our response to him. So church, will you come out fighting and sit at the table? Take communion with your family. You don't need to be a priest. The Bible says you are a kingdom of priests. You don't need to have elaborate wine and bread. You just need a, a, a a corner, a crust of a loaf and some juice, but say, God, in faith, as I feast, I know you're going to flex. Declare it over your life. Healing will come. God is about to fight on, his, on our behalf when we sit at his table.